For Thomas Matters Radio, this is Mark Collier, recording today in our Living Magazine's Palatial Studio conference room, located at the Highland Building. If you are looking to advertise your business in communities like Fort Thomas, Fort Mitchell, Indian Hill, Hyde Park, or Wyoming, call us, 859-291-1412. That's 859-291-1412. Today on the show, we've got a candidate for county commissioner in District 1. That candidate is Tyler Owen. Tyler is, I'm going to actually read off of his, uh, his, his door hanger now, real briefly, if you'll indulge me, Tyler. Yes, sir. Okay. So Tyler was born and raised in Fort Thomas. He went to St. Thomas School, graduated with honors from Newport Central Catholic and UK. Tyler works, he's a legal assistant. He coaches high school basketball at, at Brossert, and he lives in Southgate. There's more to that story. Um, Tyler, where can people catch up with you? Right now, we're on Facebook at uh, Tyler Owen 2018 on Facebook. That's where you'll find all of our updates on events and different things that we have going on. So when you look at the Campbell County slate, um, there's not a lot of contested races like in terms of uh, Republican and Democrat, um, but the the race that's probably the most crowded, which it definitely is the most crowded, is your race. You've got four Republican candidates that are going to be vying for one seat for that May primary, and the May primary is when May twenty second. May twenty second, and then you have you will have a, a general opponent, and that's Connie Grubbs, uh, who is a Fort Thomas resident as well. She'll be representing the Democrats. So one of those four will face Connie. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that race in particularly because it's the most crowded. But um, there's a few other interesting kind of um, wrinkles to your story, and I'll, I'll, we'll get into that later. So briefly, and I don't want this to be a um, vote for me type thing. Um, I know you're, you're probably disappointed to hear that. But... Let's talk about your race quickly. So you've got four people vying for one. The incumbent is Brian Painter. Brian has been on fiscal court. I don't know how long. Do you know? This will be year eight. Year eight. So he and fiscal court uh, commissioner terms are four years. So this will he'll be seeking his third term. Um, and then you have longtime Campbell County polit political stalwart and Lloyd Rogers, who's vying for this seat. And then you also have Fort Thomas resident Dave Fisher, who is the last to file for this seat. Um, so give me your overall thoughts on the crowded race in Campbell County Commissioner District 1. Well, with this race, you have uh, the individuals you just described and myself really couldn't be more of a, a variety package there. You have Brian, who's been the long-term incumbent, who has been a lot of deal of experience in the seat, obviously. You have uh, Judge Rogers, who was judge executive back in the early 80s, who's ran for a seat, it seems like, every other year. Uh, and Mr. Fisher, who is a small business owner, very successful small business owner. So you, there's a little bit of something for everyone, I guess you could uh, say out of that, uh, really both in background and ideology. So that that's going to be a... a 
It's going to be an interesting one. Um, probably all the county commissioner races of, of the entire slate uh, package with judge executive are going to be the most interesting to see what happens in May and then um, on down the line into November. Um, so that's kind of what I, I want to leave that here. And I know that you talk about uh, the impact of the heroin epidemic pretty often. Um, so I want to give you a little bit of a platform there to kind of talk about your experience um, or, and I guess how you would handle that as a commissioner. So we saw, we started to see the rise of heroin back 2010, 2012. That's when the numbers started to creep up, but it was with 2013 that the overdose numbers really started to jump off the page of the yearly report that the state puts out. And Northern Kentucky, for lack of a better term, is one of the major hot zones, Campbell County included. And we started to do, especially with that 2014 countywide election set, that a whole lot of talking about what we're going to do, how we're going to attack it, how much do we want to put into law enforcement, how much do we want to put into treatment. And you know what? The last four years have gone by, and have we seen growth in how we attack this? Yeah, we, we have. And what? And I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. Where and where and what capacity have well, we seen? I would tell you that the successes that those discussions back then had the biggest one treatment in jails. That's definitely been. We've got one in our jail that it it has success. We've definitely seen more cooperative law enforcement efforts. We've seen different ways addressed at the state level in terms of how we prosecute dealers and. Two big things, one that we'll talk about, I think, more at a local level. We have the Good Samaritan law that was passed by the state, which means that if you and I were in the Kroger parking lot and I overdosed, you could call in the emergency services and you would not be prosecuted. Uh, that really, take it for what it is, it's a controversial because it gives you that free pass, but it also is seen as a life-saving measure in a lot of ways. Uh, the other one, obviously, that the state passed is Clean Needle Exchange or the Syringe Access Program. We just had news on that this past week. Um, Monday, uh, Newport finally passed the ordinance needed to get it active in Campbell County. Uh, the fiscal court had previously passed their version, and Covington and Kenton County had done so with the caveat that Covington said that until Newport said it was a go, they wouldn't say it was a go. Correction, Newport or Boone County. Uh, so with that, we now look to have clean needle exchange programs operating in both Kenton and Campbell County. Now that'll be a three hour once a week mobile unit that will uh, do this service. That's a little change from the original ordinance, uh, but it is more than we've had. And we can talk about the successes of these programs and why they've come about. I think the prime example you hear a lot about is Scott County, Indiana, which the HIV rate, the best analogy I can put with the HIV rate in Scott County, Indiana, is if HIV spread at the rate it has there in the 400,000 people demographic of the Northern Kentucky Health District, it would approximately cost people, taxpayers, $1.4 billion to treat. That's the Northern Kentucky Health Department's estimate. So, and that's probably like a 
an homage to like the conservative Republican that looks at this uh, disease of addiction, or maybe they don't think it's a disease. Um, but when you turn it, put it in terms of financial and fiscal sense, like that makes a lot of sense to that crew, probably. And that's a general statement. But if you can look and you can say, you know, we're going to save the county X amount of dollars um, by, by, you know, proactively treating these folks and looking at this as a, um, as a disease, uh, as opposed to, you know, something that they're choosing on their own behalf, like that probably plays to that field. Would you agree with that? Oh, very much so. And I think that a lot of people were won over by Clean Needle Exchange simply by that concept. That at the end of the day, remember, when we talk about treating this problem, Clean Needle Exchange is not, it doesn't fit that bill necessarily. One of the small uh, other impacts that it has is it's a point of contact for people suffering from addiction to have with a medical professional. They can get treatment options at that point. But the number one goal of clean needle exchange programs to prevent the spread of diseases that that's how they spread. And it's really to protect the public at large. It's a public health solution. And the fiscal sense in clean needle exchange is just, I don't know how you can question it. When we talk about treatment at large, as we get into that, we talk about all the costly things that go along with addiction, not just to the person that suffers from addiction, but to the rest of the community. We do see rises in petty crime theft. We see a huge amount of cost to emergency services, to hospital bills. I mean, the health costs are just astronomical. But then we also see the risks to you and I walking down the street, to kids, to first responders, to dirty needle pricks, the it, which also cause health problems possibly for that. So uh, and I want to bring this, I'm going to kind of tie a bow on why you're passionate about these types of issues. Um, on the back of your door hanger that I'm, that I'm looking at right now, it says um, that powered by personal experiences and, and insight, Tyler is an advocate for widespread expansive solutions to the addiction crisis, including clean needle exchange increasing treatment options and increased penalization of high-level dealers. So I want to talk about your personal experiences and insight. Um, tell me a little bit about what that means. I mean, we'll open it up in the most simple way possible. My name is Tyler, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. I Today, as we record this, I am at 59 months and six days of sobriety. Uh, it was not long after I achieved sobriety, probably in that first year, that I got interested in the politics. That all actually coincided with that 2013 year when we started to see, oh, wow, we've got an addiction problem that's really hitting us hard. So powered by both my passion for politics and what I had just gone through, that's how I ended up. People ask me, why do you run? How did you get in this? And that simple turn of events there, me getting clean and finding a calling in local politics, that's how that happened. Uh, for probably, I mean, I drank starting my sophomore year of high school and that darkest period was probably the two years 
uh, prior to that. And that's when we started to see, like I said, a lot of problems as well. Not that I was noticing much of anything back in those dark days. So you're at 59 months right now? Yes, sir. 59 okay. months and six days. So I see uh, you've got a four-year medallion that you're uh, wearing around your neck. So obviously, you're very close to five years at this point. Um, when you, I don't know, have you started walking yet? Have you started canvassing? Yes, I have. Uh, just a little bit with the weather that we've had. Uh, just hit a couple neighborhoods in Alexandria to start. So I guess my question is like, it's not something that you're hiding from. It's something that you're embracing as somebody that um, can kind of speak to the, um, I guess, the disease of addiction more so than than probably any, I don't know this for a fact, but probably that anybody else, uh, at least in your race. When this gets brought up, I mean, is this something that, that you proactively bring up? Is this something that you're just trying to get ahead of? Like, tell, tell me how this plays into your... Um, you know, just your yeah, campaign. Yeah. I, I would say that I'm not trying to hit anyone over the head with it. So like if I knocked on your door, I'm not going there with the mindset of saying that I'm a recovering alcoholic. But if we start talking about this issue specifically and my background, that question, how did you get into politics? I'm going to talk about it. I am very open and honest with it. And now you asked me a question about my past and those days during there. Yeah, I'm going to answer it. And it's not to get ahead of it, to put it out there. It's just to say, until we address this area, this this problem of the stigma of addiction, we're really not going to get anywhere. I shouldn't have any shame in the fact that for a long time, I drank way too much in way too risky manners. And then I got clean. And I powered through. And there are so many people who... That's the same story for. We shouldn't have the stigma that these people are somehow, myself included, somehow lesser. And that is such a, such a powerful part of my campaign. Because at the end of the day, this campaign can't be about me and just what I'm doing. It really has to be fighting for every person that suffered for, from addiction, every family member who's lost a loved one to addiction, and the, the the people that I mean that want a better way of life going forward in this community, because at this point, like you said, the insight, yeah, I've got firsthand experience with alcoholism, but I guarantee you, four out of five people in our county at this point know someone or have been directly affected by someone that suffers from addiction. So I want to talk, and obviously, like that is, I think probably, you know. Your, your youth a little bit um, and that part and is, are probably like your main differentiators. Like if you're going to look at the four candidates in that field, you're going to be, oh, Tyler's the, you know, the youthful guy. He is uh, the one that um, can, can speak to personal experiences. But what I want to do is I want to talk about Campbell County politics in general. Because I know it's, um, you know, a topic that you know a lot about. Um, I guess at this point, as we sit March 1st, 2018, how would you characterize Campbell County politics in general? Well, we went through, quickly touched on what we went through in 2014 
when it was, you alluded before that Democrat challengers are far and few between this time around. They weren't that way in 2014. In 2014, we had a real crowded general. And then Republicans, we won everything. Uh, you saw that both on a national stage going forward and local stage going forward in the past four years, that things have turned awfully Republican, awfully, awfully red. Um, where we're at now, you've seen not only my crowded primary, but we have another crowded primary between Jeff Bessaker, Pete Garrett, and Jerry Girding. And, and that's in District 2. Yes. And District 3 also, uh, Tom Lampy has a challenger as well, and Jim Livers. And uh, Judge Executive Pendry has a challenger in Anna Zincon. And these, each of these individuals, myself included, have certain things that drive them, certain issues for me. It's it, the big one, obviously, is the addiction, excuse me, addiction epidemic for others. It may be, for example, the forced sewer line in uh, Camp Springs area. So you're seeing a lot more Republican involvement. I wouldn't call it fracturing by any points, but different things are driving different Republicans to the table. Are we at a point like Boone County is where it's basically the Republican Party versus the Libertarian Party? No, I don't think we're there. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of action from the Republicans in a lot of different ideologies, a lot of different walks of life. We only in those same races have a Democrat challenger in the judge executive race and a Democratic challenger in my race. Uh, that's where we're at right now. Well, and so I want to go back to a name that uh, when we were talking about who is in all these commissioner races, judge executive races, a name that you did not mention um, that is probably the worst kept secret in Campbell County politics lore right now. And that name's Charlie Coleman, who is our current sitting commissioner in District 2. Um, he did not file for re-election, um, and instead he changed party affiliations from Republican to Independent. Um, the worst kept secret that I'm alluding to is the filing deadline that, or date that you have to kind of keep in mind now is April the 2nd, which is when Independents have to file their letter of intent for when they, where they're going to lead you know, and stay on the ballot. Uh, the general consensus is that Coach Coleman is going to file as an independent and then run for judge executive uh, to then face uh, Calvin Seidel on the Democratic side and then the winner of Anna Zincon and Steve Pendry on the Republican side. So with all that knowledge now out into uh, the general consum consumable space, where, why, how? Well, tell you number one, with Coach Coleman, it, there was great uncertainty in that race, the uh, District 2, where uh, you found, excuse me, now find Bessaker, Girding, and Garrett, Garrett who previously held that race, well, what Coach Coleman was going to do. He 
at the turn of the year, it came out that he had registered independent. That's your deadline if you're going to file for a primary. And it was still a mystery if he was going to run for re-election in his seat just as an independent and take on the winner of the Republican primary in the general. Or And that's still a possibility. It very much is. But you and I have both heard that the leaning is towards judge executive. And I would tell you that my inclination is to believe that because uh, Mr. Girding, who I alluded to earlier, uh, shares a lot of ideology with Mr. Coleman, as well does my opponent, Mr. Rogers. Uh, they all share a similar ideology and the same backing, that being of the Tea Party. So you're starting to see the formation of a quote-unquote Tea Party ticket if and when Coach Coleman ran for judge executive, he would top that ticket with Mr. Girding and Mr. Rogers being the commissioner candidates. So as the Campbell County world turns, um, we, I guess we'll see what the next step is on April the 2nd. Um, registering as an independent is a little tougher than registering as a Republican or Democrat. Um, essentially, if you're re representing one of those districts and you're wanting to run as a commissioner in one of those districts, you need two signatures. Um, I think an independent needs a hundred. So that's basically the only, you know, I guess extra hurdle um, that, that, that coach Coleman would need to make sure that he clears to be able to do that. But until then, again, Tyler, how do we, how do people get a hold of you? I'm at, at, Tyler Owen 2018 on Facebook, Tyler Owen for County Commissioner. Uh, should have some more things rolling in the future. Follow us there. Uh, really responsive to messages, and uh, we'll be rolling out hopefully more door-to-door -door and eventually yard signs here in the future. How many doors do you expect to hit? 4,000 is my number. Why, why is that your number? I think that with voter turnout pegged at between roughly – give or take 5,000 is what we're looking at. Uh, maybe a little north of there probably, but that's the rough number. I think that between the walkable roads that we have in Campbell County, that 4,000, that's a number I can do. That's a number that's palatable. That's a number that'll reach a lot of people. And the kicker there is, unlike a lot of, like a lot of camp, a lot of campaigns, a lot of campaigns, uh, I want to be the person that talks to people out there. I have a lot of friends and colleagues that, and family members that have offered to do it with me. But the fact of the matter is I want to be the person selling myself out there to voters. So not only are we doing the door-to-door, -door, but we're doing fish fries every week, uh, doing various events leading up to the primary, already hit the uh, festival circuit over the summer. So a lot of opportunities to go out and meet voters. Tyler Owen, thanks for being on For Thomas Matters Radio. You can search back on Tyler's podcast on or all of our podcasts by just going to iTunes and selecting and searching Fort Thomas Matters. Of course, you can see all of our other archives and play them directly at fortthomasmatters.podbean.com. For Tyler Owen, this is Mark Collier, For Thomas Matters Radio.